unrelatedly, and God knows if this ever makes it into the podcast, I've had uh, had incredible difficulty, and I had nowhere else to bring this up with the word gaming. You hate it? What? You hate the word gaming? <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, but uh, I realized when I was trying to search for communities to join related to games, that the word gaming has three distinct meanings, and the lesser one seems to be video games. <laughs> Video gaming, board gaming, gambling, and I guess gaming the system or something. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great if one of the communities I could join was gaming the system. Yeah, like tax evasion or something. <laughs> I have some follow-up of my own. First of all, last week I described one of the Archons of the Scarlet Chorus belonging to the Kairos Legions in Tyranny as the voices of Menat. Mm. This is incorrect. It was the voices of Narat, which on its own <laughs> You fucking be... idiot! <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it normally wouldn't bother me, except almost like a sentence later you were lauding me for my ability to remember the names <laughs> of all these things. Of course. <laughs> Good job. I'll never believe you again. Uh-huh. And I caught it, I was listening to it, and I was like, oh, oh no. fuck, how embarrassing. <laughs> mm. uh, other follow-up is, uh, did you know that during the First World War, the Great War, if you like, Marmite was issued as a vitamin B supplement, just in case the, uh, you know, the everyday experience of people fighting in that war wasn't miserable enough? I wonder if that's where the where the idea for a us-feed-them mentality to the marketing came from. <laughs> mm-hmm, you I know, suppose. Eat Marmite and defend the motherland. <laughs> Speaking of which, it was also given to German POWs during World War II, which I think, had the Germans won, would have almost certainly came up in their version of the Nuremberg Trials. <laughs> uh, besides uh, besides that, I guess uh, there's the fact that hypnospace outlaw Dev J. Tholen noticed us. Ooh, Tholen senpai. <laughs> yes, he, no- he noticed us on, on Twitter. He said a nice thing. This is, this is only our first actual r- relative brush... With any any form of insider of the game industry, industry and or mm-hmm. creative uh, that we in some way respect, so uh, very exciting day that was. We're definitely uh, rubbing elbows with the the high and mighty. Uh, yeah, I guess speaking on follow up, uh, we've never done this before, but uh, might be worthwhile to plug our newest venture. Which, uh, if you like watching video games and can tolerate at least half of our voices. <laughs> You can check out Vectorman Live on Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash Vectorman Live. If you would like to watch Lee drunkenly read <laughs> news stories oh, and news no. websites for content on the upcoming episode of Vectorman, <laughs> tune in to twitch.tv slash Vectorman Live. Scaving. Yes, what a what a mistake that was. But you know, you gotta experiment. Make all the mistakes early on so that <laughs> yeah. when people actually watch, we're not embarrassing ourselves. Exactly. I have to say, I didn't watch it live. I was busy on the, the, the evening that you were doing it. But uh, I did did watch the VOD. Oh. And uh, I have to say, watching you play Among Us under the influence of alcohol was a lot like watching a, a baby turtle make its way across a beach. <laughs> Attempting to get to the waves only to be snatched up by some bird of prey. Yeah. But hey, you know, I, I, as some sort of vague pro, 
this afternoon I live streamed Dark Souls Cubbyhole and I did it oh, I sober. See. <laughs> ah, that's two birds of one stone there. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's steady progress. So if you want to see how the sausage gets unmade and tangled and stuff, you can watch me uh, <laughs> play Dark Souls on, on Twitch, which I, I spent two hours... On uh, I, I might as well. This is basically all I got for Dark Souls Cubbyhole anyway, so I can crap it in here. But I uh, I spent two hours live on air struggling to navigate Sarah's fortress. I got back outside and then I got blown up by a bomb. That was about as good as it got. <laughs> well, it's it's called Sen's Fun House for a reason. Mm. I led the 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 stream with the name. Watch me tackle uh, Sarah's fortress. Uh, of course, once again, calling him Sarah and not Sen. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, th- that should throw off the scent for anyone who's looking to watch that, so that they can correct you in backseat game. Uh, you're right. You're right. You weren't in danger of being stream sniped, but uh, this should act as double defense. Technically, I could stream snipe you if I if I if I if I had the the time or the inclination. Would you- I mean, Dark Souls probably doesn't have crossplay though. You probably would need the the PS4 version. Oh yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. that they, that's that's my barrier to safety. There, you'll never double dip. <laughs> no, my, I, I'm too I'm too savvy a consumer to ever stoop to such things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Although uh, I, I I suspect that uh, I may be exposing myself as a hypocrite for reasons that will become clear a little later in the podcast, I think. Excellent. Well, let's let's slowly move towards that. But yes, uh, Fector Man Live on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Fector Man Live. Also on YouTube, which I believe is just YouTube.com slash Fector Man. Uh, our previous podcast episodes are going to be slowly uh, added there, uh, as well as all the clips that are worth showing from Twitch. So if you want to not have to worry about being on Twitch... You're already on YouTube. Follow us there. Cool. All right. That's that's enough plugging. I, I feel ill. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so what have you been playing this week? I, I already know it's tyranny. <laughs> yes, it's tyranny. Tyranny continues. Uh, I'm brushing up against the, the two-thirds mark, I think. According to how long to beat and my general vibe of how things are going. All right, cool. Story update: I uh, I have prevented the edict from coming to pass, and everyone in the valley is saved. Ooh, that is a proper. Not, that's the ending of an arc. Not many of them are grateful. The disfavored, the Roman Legion, and the Scarlet Chorus, the War Boys, <laughs> they're at loggerheads to such an extent that they're now openly conflicting with one another, which is a shame. I don't think there was anything I could have done about uh, that. Probably not. I mean, to be fair, you did save them from just straight up, you know, being genocided. So mm, can't have shit under Kairos in any case. <laughs> uh, they they've all they've all scampered off to their various. Uh, theaters in the uprising quashing conflict so that they don't have to tangle one another but they still find ways meanwhile my boss Tunon is all like a civil war would be very unfortunate for us so I'd like you to collect evidence on the two of them the two archons the two boys in charge and then uh, once we get to the end of the game I guess you'll present evidence to say which of them is preaching sedition or something. End game court case trial excellent. I think we give Tunon a a bit of a a bad rap last week when we give him the sort of 1984 comparison on account of him being the Archon of Justice or whatever but uh, he actually seems to be the most on the level character in the entire game so far so you know what Tunon gets a he gets a thumbs up from me and it's not just because I work for him (laughs) You (laughs) (laughs) 
He's also got an assassin that like kills people that get too above their station. So, mm. and he's an archon too. So, no fucking around with that guy. Oh yeah, maybe I missed the point. Maybe this was more like a, a like Chinese Communist Party kind of thing. Mm, maybe. Like, you like you you got the tears monitored by sort of bureaucracy <laughs> mm. slash assassins. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, the comparison that I made previously was Alexander the Great, except he had the privilege of dying before he actually had to rule anywhere. So uh, he, he spared himself a lot of embarrassment. Kairos does not have that privilege, it seems. Uh, yeah, yeah. Also, Kairos is also bumping against the problem that the actual Roman Republic had, which was, oops, it turns out uh, a lot of these armies are more loyal to their generals than they are to the state. Mm. Ooh. Not sure how that's going to pan out. <laughs> well, yeah. Any uh, updated thoughts on on the game in general, in terms of you know just how you how it's sitting with you, how the vibes are going? Uh, not as such. No, I mean it's maintained a pretty steady level of quality. Although I'm not entirely sure where the plot is going. Mm. Like uh, right now, I'm just being tasked to go to various parts of the map, crush sedition, and raise the edicts that have been laid upon those lands. Like uh, one of them is oh, this regent of this county has risen his banner against me in protest and he's held on for this long, so Kairos put an edict down to cover the land in like a, basically a never-ending hurricane of rust and dust and <laughs> desert sand. <laughs> All right. And uh, the clause for that is, so if the last ruler of that kingdom is slain or uh, if the, the regent's, the bloodline is no longer present, then that will lift the edict. And I'm like, oh, right, well... <laughs> Guess I'll go do that because uh, the disfavored aren't doing shit about it. I mean, that's kind of that's kind of their whole bit. Yeah, can't believe I'm sympathizing with the fucking war boys of all. People. Oh no! <laughs> I know. You, you definitely harped on their elitism. Oh no, the disfavored were the elitists. Oh, that's right. oh, yeah. oh! I've got it back to front. No, the war boys were the ones that I got the impression that you secretly liked. <laughs> there are merits to their approach in that you can just, they're not afraid to get stuck in. Yes, you didn't like their inefficiency. Yes, they're inefficient <laughs> and they're undisciplined. <laughs> their reputation with me is in the toilet because uh, I, since I've been favoring the other guys, they just hate me and their, their Archon hates me, but that's fine because he's a creep. The way reputation in this game works is really strange because there's the... The favor meter, which goes from 0 to 100, mm. and there's the wrath meter, which goes from 0 to 100, but they're not mutually exclusive. I could have like 100% favor with one faction and yeah. also have 100% wrath, and there's bonuses to both, yeah. and I'm not entirely sure how that works. That's, yeah, the same thing was ha happened to be in the Outer Worlds. It was all just one bar, so you could get on really well with the people, and therefore their merchants would sell you stuff quite at a, at a good discount. But also, mm -hmm. they would attack you on sight <laughs> if you if they hated you. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a weird position where I'm simultaneously there are factions who simultaneously really really like me and really really hate me. I mean, I guess the idea is that they're trying to go for the Machiavellian thing of oh, is it better to be loved or to be feared? Ideally, it should be both. But hey, but uh, it just seems like I never really quite know where I stand with organizations where I'm at both. And therein lies the point. <laughs> I suppose? Maybe there's a message. It'd just be one of those guys. Maybe there's some depth to this. Maybe there's a message. Read between the lines, Lawrence. <laughs> Watch this space. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. It is quite concerning that uh, for a game that is supposed to be uh, Pillars of Eternity, but brief. No, I don't think that's what it's supposed to be. I just think that's how I've pitched it well, to Well, yeah, you. but I mean, like, put it this way. It is a more focused version of that it's not like a big wide world with like a, a story that you can check into and a million one side stories there is a general 
story progression with tiny little bits and pieces on the side, right? Yeah, that's fair. So it it would worry me that, you know, you have your general plot, but if you are still sensing that, you know, the plot hasn't really, it's not really where the hell is this fucking going, that to me would signal that they might have crossed a few wires in terms of what their usual design method is and what their cool I, I guess this sort of thing brought came up a little bit with Outer Worlds too. This plot was generally easy to find, but it, the game never truly felt certain whether it was a big, wide-ranged side quest of up adventure with a plot, or if it was mm-hmm. just plot game with little bits and pieces to entertain yourself as you get engaged with the plot. You know, the world seemed much bigger, much on, uh, or sort of awkwardly on the scale of just big enough to waste too much of your time and distract you from what is a pretty simple and should be uh, targeted plot. <laughs> I suppose I should point out that I understand that I'm basically going around the the map cleaning up all the messes and curtailing all the, the, the rebellion, although I could side with them I wanted to, but why the fuck would I? Mm. And uh, as I do so, my character grows increasingly more politically relevant, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely see where the end of my character's arc is, but I'm not certain exactly once I get there where I'm going to stand with the regime as a whole. I mean, we still haven't even met Kairos, and I suspect we're probably not going to until the very end of the game, if at all. Yeah, it's like a fake out. There was there was no Kairos. <laughs> yes, it could be that uh, you know, it's a they pull back the curtain at some man pulling a bunch of levers and knobs and pulleys and things like that. But as it is, the moment the moment I hit the end of my character, I, I'm just going to have to be like, all right, so am I in charge now or am I about to get smoked? <laughs> or smitten? Or s- smited? Smet. I'll leave that, I'll leave, I'll leave that to the, the word people listening. <laughs> the word people. Yeah, email Lee and I'm sure he'll be delighted to, to know the distinction and he can tell me. Yeah, sounds good. See you on follow-up. Hmm. Now, uh, besides Tyranny, mm. this week I also watched the, the Undertale 5th Anniversary oh, Orchestral Concert. I forgot to write it down, but so did I. <laughs> oh, I'm, gr- I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you did. What a, what a swell time. <laughs> well, wasn't it delightful? <laughs> Five years. Hard to believe. Ordinarily I'd be like, oh, it feels like it was only yesterday, but no, with Undertale it's the opposite. It feels like it's been there yeah. in my life for like 10 years. Easily, easily. I think the I think the difference with Undertale against other like sort of big games or big events in your life that do feel more recent is that Undertale's time in the sun never really quite disappeared. No, it seems to have, it's a mainstay. It's here to stay in the popular... <laughs> In the popular culture, at least the internet popular culture, the games one. I was I watched a uh, like a playthrough of it what like two years ago, and it was like unwieldy popular, you know, and it's uh, it, it was just the kind of thing where like there's there's still an audience for people who've seen or played Undertale to go back and be there again and enjoy it, and the same kind of effect happened listening to the. To the orchestra. Yeah, you, you felt so, you felt some of those feelings again. Huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it was last year. I was working for a uh, a bike company on their internet mm-hmm. side of things, and uh, I was writing up uh, descriptions for the bikes to sell to people on their internet website, uh, which, as you can imagine, was a kind of tedious job, uh, sort of mindless 
Easy money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, I definitely liked it. But you know, when you're when you're when you're doing something that you're kind of repeating yourself over and over again, you you want to try and find a soundtrack or something, or a podcast to listen to to kind of like Factor Man podcast to help uh, yeah. break up the monotony. But I actually, because it was a writing job, uh, and and the ADHD was flaring like crazy whenever I tried to listen mm. to something with too many words. I, no lyrics, can't do it with the lyrics. Exactly. I, 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 I defaulted to video game soundtracks, and it was a big a big exploration to see what what really worked in terms of uh, working music. And while I didn't really... Because the Undertale soundtrack itself is quite... It's quite um, incidental a lot of the time. Uh, if you listen to the full album, there's a lot of little bits and pieces that kind of make it a little jarring. What I really liked was a remix album of the Undertale score... Uh, it's by a guy called Holder. Uh, you can have you. Did you play this at your house when I was around one time? I yes, little... yes, I think I did. That sounds yes, like the kind of thing yes, that I've put on the background for games or something. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you in on like a, a, a real good brainworm here. This is a classic Lawrence brainworm, <laughs> which is that uh, I try not to listen to the soundtrack. Of things that have affected me greatly, because in doing so, I feel like I'm ruining their potency. Mm. That's not a bad attitude. That's not even a brainwormy thing. I think that's quite sensible. Well, I, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I do think it it most certainly is a brainworm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pre- I'm pretty <laughs> sure watching this concert was uh, the first time that I had heard that music since I had been to your house. And mm. Before I went to your house, the last time I'd heard it was when I was watching someone else play it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would ne- I would never privately seek it out because uh, in my mind that almost like dilutes it. Like if I listen to it w- one too many times, it's like you there will come a day where you'll no longer <laughs> you'll feel not this way feel anything. And th- and they, and that's unthinkable to me. It's like no, yeah. no. It depends on the case, but I think erring on the side of caution does feel like a, a, a decent move if if it's if it's that poignant or meaningful to you. You know, I mean, Undertale, I feel like the context of watching it, I mean, even watching somebody else play it, I was, I was hit all over again without any real dilution of the effects of the, of the characters or the story or the, the general vibe. But, but you're right. I mean, I, yeah, well, I listened to the soundtrack and all, but Undertale is one of the very few games I promised myself I'd never play again. And it's because it's, it, it had that sort of par and its whole message yeah. was don't, don't be the Undertale guy. <laughs> Yeah, don't fucking cling to things, you know. Learn from them and 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 grow and evolve. Don't don't uh, don't sink too deep and and hold on and replay and replay because you you do dilute it. So if there's ever an, a soundtrack in a game to have left, you know, to to try to avoid <laughs> like oversaturating, probably is Undertale. Maybe a little too late for some of the bigger tracks for me because I've heard them raved up. Mm. There's no salvaging. Uh... Megalovania at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there has to be exceptions. But to be fair, I've not listened to the full soundtrack very often, and so hearing it all sort of put into a nice order had me kind of working like, oh, what's that? And who? Where was I then? You know, and kind of brought back Mm, that that same effect in a way that felt distinct (laughs) from the rave fucking work music (laughs) side of it. You know, uh, it's funny actually, Megalovania. Because I feel like that's exempt from the brain worms. Because as I was listening to this concert, I was like, huh, there are some tracks here that I don't recognize. Oh, yeah. Especially to the very end. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> it turns out this is where Lawrence exposes himself as a massive bitch. Because <laughs> uh, Lawrence never did the genocide run. Oh, no, fuck no. No, I got to the end of that pacifist run. 
and uh, I was quite satisfied. And then I un- uninstalled the game, and then I never touched it again. Exactly, as I did too. No fucking way am I going to go back there and ruin that. Some, that's what play, that's what Let's Plays are for. And even then, apparently there's lines of dialogue in the game that call you out for watching Let's Plays of the Genocide Run, calls you a bitch for it. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Still, I had uh, some morbid this, curiosity, yeah. I just didn't want to have to be personally involved. <laughs> Amongst other things, watching this did fill me with a seething envy for Toby Fox for basically accomplishing everything that I could possibly want. Mm. Also a great pity because he now has to follow up on one of the greatest things ever made. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really batten, batten 10 right out the gate. Is that is that the term? Say, uh, <laughs> Delta Rain Chapter One has done a lot to reassure us, though I think. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, it, it, surely the the scale of accomplishment doesn't really get higher than filling a, an entire room with uh, Japanese folk uh, listening to your awesome fucking game soundtrack played by a full on professional Japanese orchestra. I think he tweeted out about it, where he's like, he's watching this. And he's thinking about the times that he made all these beeps and boops on his computer <laughs> using like FL Studio, and the imposter syndrome is almost insurmountable. I can't, I can I can't even imagine. I did try and like mm. put myself in that shoes while I was listening a bit. You're like, man, that it really goes to show how absolutely translatable to this form his music was. That mm. did, you know, how just incredibly well written and diverse that it could actively engage on an orchestra level (laughs) especially when uh at the very center of the orchestra in the middle of the room there is an icon dedicated to Mm -hmm. him in that sort of conductor's position uh pretty wonderful Mm -hmm. uh but yes i mean at the same time it was kind of a bit like a rock concert when you're waiting for that last song and you know it's going to be good (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's right yeah all right guys let's be real you're not leaving here until you play Bohemian Rhapsody. Exactly. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> it made you. <laughs> That's what I like about orchestras. They're classier. They don't. They don't go through the the bullshit. Yeah. They wave. They have a have a glass of water now and then, uh, and they'll have a, a full on intermission, which uh, all I'm all about. Everybody likes that. Everybody likes to have a break. But yeah, anybody who hasn't watched it. Absolutely wonderful stuff. I mean, obviously taste. It comes into this to some degree, you know, if you're not really into orchestra stuff or soundtracks. But I mean, at least consider it. (laughs) It's it's a pretty monumental thing for an indie game to warrant such a tremendous send up uh, and for uh, for a piece of work, (laughs) sort of fucking piece of work like Undertale. (laughs) The man was invited to the House of Sakurai to play Smash Brothers together. (laughs) My goodness. That was my weekly. Yeah, yeah, already it's 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 leaning into mine. <laughs> a perfect segue, a graceful and elegant transition from one to the other, and you had to scupper it by bringing it up. <laughs> I'll just cut it out. <laughs> I have that power. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Um, let's stay with the Japanese and talk a little bit about anime with anime cubbyhole number two. All right. I watched B Stars. Ah, uh, I have been waiting for this day in its entirety. In its entirety, of course. Lovely. Isn't it delightful? Isn't that opening delightful? Isn't it thirsty as fuck? Oh, you know, I've been listening to it all week. Not even all week, it's been two weeks. Literally every day I've opened Ali's uh, Wild Side. 
Mm. But that it's a banger. It's oh, oh, it's so good. Have you heard anything else by them? They're wonderful. Oh, I, I, I'm sure uh, I'll probably delve into them at some point. It turns out that jazz thing wasn't a one-off. They're kind of like a weird troop. Ooh, yes. You know, I think you know. Right after I'm done with the seatbelts, I'll probably move on to them. Mm-hmm. Worth a look. I mean, there's not a lot of songs in the repertoire. They mostly do EPs and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a bad sound there. So I mean. Recommended. Anyway, B-Stars. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, Netflix furry hot, hot furry action. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so it's, a, 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 you know what? It's been two weeks and I didn't write any of the names down, so let me quickly look at them. There we go. So uh, for those who don't know, the show follows a great wolf called Lugoshi, uh, mm-hmm. who is attending a school, a sort of high school for, for animals in this world, populated, uh, I assume, solely by animals. I don't remember. If, I don't remember there being any humans, which is good. No, no. <laughs> I mean, they all are humans in, in reality. It's just with their weird animal animalistic traits included. Mm-hmm. And uh, boy, boy, does that show not shy away from the animal. Oh, yeah, yeah. Starts off with somebody getting super fucking hurt <laughs> <of> food. <laughs> so, uh, is kind of the shy wolf guy who is... His, his crux is he is uh, fighting his own carnivore instincts in a sort of omnivore university where, the, uh, you know, there's a carnivores and herbivores attending. It's like Zootopia, but a little bit more hardcore. Yeah. And instead of a police procedural, it's like, um, I guess, a high school drama, but I guess a bit Yagsa near the end. Weirdly, because you, you would think surely, if anything, between the two would be the more hardcore, be the police procedural, but I guess not. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's the, the far more affecting parts are everything to do with the school and living life as these animals. I think this might be the horniest show I've watched in some time, because <laughs> my goodness... There are some sequences where the camera is like a 20 degree tilt away from this being like going up an age rating. And it's pretty high up there at the beginning. I can't with. imagine it getting much. I, I I feel like porn would be less thirsty. It'd be more just boring rawness. <laughs> <laughs> There's Beastars is going out of its way to be sexy as fuck. And mm. uh, it, it wants you to buy into the fact that these animal people really just are all instinct which i mean uh-huh. great shit it's they're, fucking hilarious they're <laughs> animals like <laughs> they're just fucking animals <laughs> so yeah i mean generally it's about lagoshi he meets a a rabbit girl called haru and uh you know he basically the first episode is about the fact that he almost fucking straight up murders her uh but then mm-hmm. slowly it uncovers that this show is actually anime romance and Despite his impulses, he really, really fancies Haru. Meanwhile, they have a third party, uh, Louis or Louis. I'm not mm-hmm. really sure which one they, the actors wanted it's, us to say because they call him Rui. Yeah, it's uh, it's Louis. I take it you watched the sub then. Oh, uh, yeah, of course. And uh, he's a, he's a red deer, and he's the up and comer for the Beast Star, which is sort of like the Nobel Peace Prize for solidarity between races or yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. He's also intense as hell. Uh, yeah, he is a fascinating fucking character. <laughs> no chill whatsoever. <laughs> so yeah, and it's really just about them going about their school lives for, uh, it's like 12 episodes. Uh, and then shit kind of gets taken up a notch when, uh, you know, first episode, uh, somebody is brutally murdered. There's uh, sort of factions, Yakusu-like, in the town that come into it a little later mm-hmm. on that uh you know our characters have to respond to in their various uh enigmatic ways and generally it's just mm-hmm. a really good involving 
I it's the closest to like a soap opera I think I've ever watched. Uh, but I guess it's more like a crime yeah, drama in some some respects. But I think the meat of the story is is mostly like a romance. Yeah, that seems to be uh, the core. Yeah, it's certainly the part that I really enjoyed the most. Yeah, <laughs> kind of felt jarring when it dips into other genres. <laughs> Not like this real life story when it jumps into like a crime drama. It's like it's really fucking like well, okay. I don't know if these two things go together. <laughs> I mean, they do. It's fine, but it's strange. I think it, it it definitely goes places that Zootopia is too scared to because of the <laughs> Disney thing. Like, uh, I think it was the point where uh, they meet the mayor, and he's like a lion or something, and it says he needed to get cosmetic surgery to make himself look more appealing to voters, to take away his fangs oh, and give yeah. himself gentler features. And I was like, yeah, pretty harrowing. Uh, yeah, generally in terms of the commentary, or sort of the parallels to real life, it actually is quite good. There's a tendency in these kind of things to get caught up in the metaphor, mm-hmm. or try to try to see what the metaphor is, try to work it out, you know, like, what is the one-to-one here that they're going, that the artist is going for, that the writer is if going for? If there even is one. Exactly. What I found was, stop trying when watching Peace Stars. There are two kind of shows. There are one that work almost explicitly in the metaphor that they're trying to build up to, and then they hit you over the head at the very end, like, bam! That was the metaphor. That was what it was that was where it was all going. And then there's the this is just a concept with a lot of parallels to real life that is meant to bring out something in your life, but we're not explicitly saying that this is any one thing. It's just its own world with its own rules. That just so happens, if you think about it, might have a few things in common with yours, I don't know. <laughs> I, I like to view this thing in terms of there being two layers. The first layer is context, the second layer is subtext. You can enjoy it purely in terms of its context, that is to say, the surface layer stuff, the show, and the characters, yada yada, all the things that you can see and hear, and the subtext being the themes and the metaphors and the whatnot. Uh, a lot of people might see subtext where there isn't, or maybe there is, but it's not in the places where you would expect it. Uh, I feel like it's like a pyramid where you like you need to have the context and then you build upon that with the subtext. Mm. Like, uh, did did you ever watch FLCL or Fully Cooley? Uh, nope. That was a show that was no context and all subtext, and it just seemed incomprehensible. And then people are like, oh, no, no, it's meant to be incomprehensible because mm, it's mm. a metaphor for puberty and the uncertainty and the idea, idea. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. But, like, it was just incoherent the entire time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I, I seen what was the opposite version of that lately, which is the, uh, I watched an episode of Pendleton Ward's latest work. I'm trying to get the name mm, of it. Okay. The Midnight Gospel. It's a show on okay. uh, show on uh, Netflix uh, featuring basically a bunch of sort of esoteric interviews, uh, which mm-hmm. are, you know, I think this makes it more context and subtext because, yeah, while they are talking about higher meaning uh, ideas in this sort of animated form uh, and that these conversations are just sort of real conversations, the idea is that they are telling you where their position on this is the entire time. So there's nothing subtextual about it this is constant thoughts about something that they're trying to piece together there's not really a subtext to it in my head it's really just sort of listen see if it grabs you if it doesn't it doesn't it didn't grab me at all mm-hmm. but and that's why i think that it kind of it if it's all context it shares the, the same problem of just being a base without uh without a, a spirit of the pyramid i guess <laughs> mm. but yeah b stars has the best of both worlds uh i did like one uh idea that uh or in terms of themes that i wasn't explicitly mentioned, that, but I think uh, people 
would probably like to dig into a little further than I did, which was that it's a lot of what it's talking about is introverts versus extroverts. Oh, yeah. Lagoshi, hashtag so relatable. (laughs) But I think it's also, all the characters are shades of the spectrum. You know, so it's not Mm -hmm. just there are there is one camp that are introverts and there is one camp that are extroverts it's it's kind of just there's a, there's a type for everybody and the and the sort of reactions those types have i guess you just call that human beings and it's not all that interesting a metaphor but it's interesting to think about the kinds of uh personalities out there that fall under that spectrum and where they might fit in with society. Yeah, I, I I just like the work they put in to sort of make this society work. Like, hey, in Zootopia, did you ever wonder to yourself, so like, what are all the carnivores eating? And then the question is never answered. Mm-hmm. You're just wondering, okay, but like for real, how did this co- society come to be without them eating something? This is impossible. Beastars exclusively says, oh, they're all eating like high-protein foods, like, you know, eggs and things like that. But, you know, if you want, there's a place down the road where you can get some of the real stuff, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> wink, wink. Exactly. Yeah, it really, it really does stand up functions. Also, I mean, it teases out the, the corners of the society in really nice ways, like when the Goshi is explaining to like uh, that really cool old panda dude who's just <laughs> way he's just the coolest like he's too cool to be in this show it's kind of crazy yeah of course and like he looks at him funny he goes what are you some kind of pervert or something like are you sure it's not just some kind of creepy fetish you have this this thing with the rabbit girl here's some porn <laughs> this, that'll that'll do the trick right just let me know if that if that if that's still doing it for you and Lagoshi's like all right <laughs> Okay. God, he's just the coolest. He's a great character. There's so many great characters in this. Even, like, other characters that you know are set up to be kind of antagonists or minor antagonists and stuff like that. You end up feeling a lot for, like, uh, Bill the Tiger. Oh, yeah, Bill the Tiger. I I have no idea how to feel about Bill the Tiger. It's like, this guy's kind of a shit. Yeah, he's a wreck. But he's just like the wrecks you know in real life. (laughs) Yeah, I guess everyone's just kind of cool with it. Yeah. Except when they're not, but then they go back to being cool with it. So I'm like, not sure how to feel about this guy. The characters are not, they're not really, there's no black and white characters. You know, everybody's got an edge to them, some some deeper meaning or deeper undercurrent in, in motivation. And that, I think, makes the difference in how this could have went terribly wrong or terribly right. I mean, like, Zootopia, entertaining film. I think we can all agree. But uh, mm. it's, I wouldn't say it's a very deep film or that the characters invite you back. You know, you watch it once or twice and you laugh. Well, I mean, they do build a nice world, but it's nice looking, but it, it's not, it's a bit superficial. Yeah, exactly. I think superficial is the right word for it. I think that Beastars dips a little into superficiality later on when it starts to hit the crime stuff because then it's kind of fitting in uh sort of genre blends that i don't know if they needed to be there you know like it kind of gets a little action heavy i i don't really view these things in terms of oh did it need to do this it's just like it has done it do you like it or not yes or no and i like what it's doing yeah no of course it's a real 21st century show and what i mean by that is in (laughs) the 90s it would be like will they won't they have they got together yet and uh in this point it's like no they're together it's just like have they fucked yet? No. <laughs> can they fuck? Have they had? Have can they fuck? Have they fucked on screen yeah, yet? Yeah. No, not yet. Some people have, so I mean, why shouldn't they? Is it is it because we're yeah, supposed I to know. like them? It's because he's too much of a coward. Right. Other thing on my week. Uh, uh so for my birthday, 
uh, as a gift, I was given uh, Dragon Quest Eleven, oh. which yeah, it's uh, echoes of an elusive age, <laughs> as its terrible mm. subtitle says. Uh, I was actually really excited for this game, um, and here I'm going to talk about something I'm going to call missing the vibe. <laughs> uh oh, foreshadowing, huh? All right, so uh, to, that's, to be clear, straight off the bat, I haven't given up on Dragon Quest. I, oh, I I I absolutely intend to play this, and I know it gets this is, good, this is some pre- and it's still really early oh, on. This is some prefessingly. Uh, yeah, exactly. But here's the thing, right? Uh, I I wanted this game. I don't know, like a year or two ago. I was really excited for this. Uh, I had been eyeing mm-hmm. it up for a while. I even played the demo for God's sake, a demo in in 2018 or 19, whichever it was. Uh, the game was always too expensive to justify, but. Uh, so I never really quite jumped the gun with it, but you know, since then I've been sort of hoarding a fragment of my brain, saying, "But someday there will always be Dragon Quest Eleven, won't there?" And I, mm. and I, I want to stress at this point that this wasn't mean I was fixated on the idea that Dragon Quest Eleven was going to be like this this splendiferous adventure that would tick all the boxes for me. I I know that these things are hard to get off the ground. I mean, for God's sake, I love Persona 4, but fuck, the first time I played it, the first couple of hours, I did, I really struggled to get into it uh, because I didn't know what I was mm-hmm. in for. But I, I, I did know what I was in for for this, to be fair. The only things I know about Dragon Quest is that, one, they're massive in Japan. They're big in Japan. All right. Uh, they're <laughs> also... They're, Akira Toriyama works on them for the art That's style. Right. And uh, I also know that they're grindy as fuck. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And on that on that basis, that's why I've avoided the series till now. Yeah, uh, that's that's perfectly fair. Uh, I you know the whole thing. I was excited. I was excited to play it for two reasons. One was I had played the very first Dragon Quest, and I liked the world. I dug it. And two, Dragon Quest One is grindy as fucking balls, and I was into it. <laughs> It was kind of my test. It was oh. my test uh, game. Oh, that that was before the the fatigue had set in. <laughs> what what do you mean? The grinding fatigue, as in culturally or like personally. No, I mean like personally. <laughs> I mean for for me, it was like uh, the reason why I stopped playing Pokemon games because it just became like a, a an exercise in grind. Yeah, uh-huh. And uh, I was like, I, I nah nah, I'm not into it. It's for the same reason I don't really play uh, MMORPGs anymore. My board because yeah, yeah. begging your pardon. No, I mean I agree in general. I I, uh, I just find that there is a place for those kind of games, but as I'm finding now, there has to be a mood for it. And at the time, I was in a mood for mindless grindathons, uh, which was working out well because I had been playing. I played the uh, original Dragon Quest, and again, a very, very simple game that is almost like all grind. There's it's not really any puzzles, there's not really any depth to the combat, it is just grind your way from one level of monster to the other, and eventually you are strong enough to beat the last monster. The other game that I played around this time, I think, was Pokemon's Shield. And again, as you've mm-hmm. uh, alluded, Pokemon is is all but grind. <laughs> like No, the other way around. It is. It is only grind. And uh, but I, again, I really, really enjoyed Pokemon Shield. I didn't. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of people who didn't realize it for the lack of depth that it offered. Uh, but I was into that and, uh, at the time, and I was really happy to have that in my life. And so, uh, in and around this ballpark, I started weighing up. Okay, what if Dragon Quest One or, the, or let's just follow the trend? You know, 
the the next the next mm-hmm. thing. I've heard Dragon Quest is grindy as fuck. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time I get to play a brand new Dragon Quest. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm the guy who I'm one of the, everybody knows a guy who plays one type of series. Maybe I'm that guy for my friends. Nobody in the, in this fucking country is going to play a Dragon Quest game, but I'll be the guy. You'll be our inside source when we need the the Dragon's Quest. Scoop. Yeah, uh, yeah, or yeah, I don't know. I don't know when these conversations come up, you know, when you need a comparison to a game from another game and somebody goes, you know, it's a bit like Dragon Quest. That's why I did Persona 1. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and how how beneficial that has been for uh, comparisons on this podcast alone. I feel we Mm. bring it up quite often. Usually in a negative light, but oh yeah, yeah, but (laughs) yeah, I'm not going to say that underpins what I'm trying to say. Anyway, Dragon Quest Eleven or whatever it was. Uh, yeah. So, but the whole thing is, by the time I eventually got around to it in August, I don't know. I might have, I might have been over the whole grindy thing. The the appetite had passed. The luster had worn off. I'm st- I'm I'm trying to weigh it up a little bit because I I also think the start of this game might be exceptionally I I wouldn't say dull but kind of too loose for its own good and at the same time. Okay. Too, too linear uh, it's weird right because the story itself is almost a to b for the first while and i haven't really got past mm-hmm. or out of that but the the weird thing is when you step into like a an area you know the sort of open world section with the monsters that roam around you have to decide to fight the monsters because they can't reach you if you run away from them <laughs> they're kind of just okay. littered around the path and you can see them and instead of like random battles you just see them there, and sometimes there are faster ones that you have to work to avoid if you want to, or you just walk up to them and start picking fights. Well, that, that seems like the best way to go about it, as far as I'm concerned. I hate random encounters. It's like being slapped in the face when you're just trying to go somewhere. I, I generally agree. I, I think there should be some visual connotation to say that a monster is approaching you so quick and you have very little you can do about it. I don't know if I agree with the idea that they just sort of float around aimlessly around the sides and let you decide whether you want to fight them. Because here's the thing. You're playing this. The monsters are getting stronger as you go around. Uh, You're not exceptionally strong as a character from the start. At some point, I assume the game is saying you got to lean in and start fighting these things. But it's not making that a part of the journey. You're going to actively have to use brain cells on this path to bump heads with these things. An example of a game that did this a little better uh, was Ninu Kuni Wrath of the White Witch. Which has okay. the same general effect. There's an overworld, there are monsters littered around it. And uh, you walk you walk around and you can see them in plain sight so there's no random encounters. But the monsters, until you sort of level up and get to a certain speed or a certain strength they are usually fast enough to just burn you down and catch you you can look at an area and go like i don't want to run through 10 monsters but i could probably deal with three and you kind of hit that path knowing that you're going to have to fight three monsters instead of 10 Mm -hmm. and therefore you're allowed a sort of sense of agency but at the same time you still have to engage with the combat system to some degree yeah chrono trigger did that i think what I liked about that system is that the monsters would always advance on you and they would always catch up. You know, very rarely would you get out of their grasp. And when you hit a certain level and the monsters are beneath you, they run away from you. So you, you're you not even wasting your time. You're not even getting into random encounters with shit that's way beneath you. So I thought that system kind of meshed the best of both worlds because you had, a, you had enough foresight to go like, that guy's too strong, I don't want to fight him. That guy's too weak, I don't want to fight him. 
you know, this area is too packed, dense with enemies, and I'm low on health, and I don't want to have to deal with that, so I'm going to go back to town and heal up and start again. You know, like, there was, there was, a, there was a little meta game there to play. This, I feel like, the, the meta game adds an extra unnecessary step, which is, none of these monsters are going to fight me unless I choose to fight them. They're not in the way of anything. They are important to the game, but I have to make the decision to fight each and every one of them in order, so when you start to fight them, you just literally sit down and head first into ten monsters like a fucking weirdo and it just it just feels like like that one step too far where it's no, now it's it, like it's it's asking you to not only grind but to do all the all the the middleman work as well oh i see what you mean it's like a, when you enter the um the overworld right mm-hmm. can you see all of the monsters there right away in the overworld yep all the way to the horizon yep yep so it feels it it feels like a to do list that regenerates every time you you enter the overworld. Yeah, is that, is that, exactly. Yeah, it burns yeah, on your mind. Saying, I should be fighting these things, right? And the truth is, when you get to certain points in the story and all, you're going to hit boss fights that have required you to basically be fighting them the whole time anyway. So mm-hmm. why not? Just make them fight you, and then remove the sort of you know why 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 am I doing why am I the guy who has to hunt them all down when they're necessary for the game to progress you know <laughs> and they're like again there's there have been systems over time even Pokemon had it for God's sake where the the monsters if they're very weak will run away from you or uh, ideally the instant kill again my favorite feature in any RPG oh. is the Earthbind upgrade that lets you just if an enemy walks into you on the overworld. And the game calculates that you could beat it in one turn. Yeah. You just win automatically and you get your XP and you don't even enter the battle screen. Mwah! Love it. Uh, so this didn't have that. And it made kind of traveling the world feel like an overly analytical chore, I guess. Because I was starting mm. to wonder, should I be fighting these things? These guys look stronger. Am I the right level to be fighting these guys? You know, it was a yeah, bit of more calculated. Uh, yeah, a lot of overthinking. A lot of metacognition yeah. about the way that you're playing rather than just playing. Exactly. Which is not what I was looking for in a grindathon. Because you, you, even when on the basis that I was looking for a grindathon. <laughs> because I wanted it. You know, it hits you over the head with it a little bit. I don't, I don't mind. I can, I can take it. I'm here for that. You know, fucking. I'm not saying it has to be blind, random battles in the in the tall grass, but I mean, I, again, I feel like games have already done a system that was exactly like this, but that one step that tied everything together. For some reason, Dragon Quest fought better, <laughs> and uh, and made it so that you have to overthink every area you're in. Like, am I doing enough right now? Is this enough? I guess. Uh... I guess by the 11th entry in the series, they're sort of banking on you knowing what the score is by this point. Yeah, well, that, that's what I mean. I do know what the score is. I just that said, I also might not be in the mood for a grindy game, so I don't want. I don't want to write off the whole fucking adventure. I'm I'm still looking forward to playing mm-hmm. Dragon Quest. I'm just putting it to the side for the moment because I uh, I feel like th- that's what I mean. I feel like I might have missed the vibe. I feel like sometimes you you. You have in mind this sort of idea of what you want to be doing with your time, and there's an ideal out there that you want to help make that come true. And for me, at the time, whatever mindset I was in, I was in a grindy game mood, and I wanted to play Dragon Quest. And now uh, it's it's a bit it's over. Maybe it will come back. I'm kind of banking on it because it's an expensive game, and I don't want that gift to go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it kind of feels like it's past me a little bit. Yeah, I know. You're you're not in the mood for it. You're not in the mood for it. Simple as that. Exactly, simple as that. And uh, that's a shame. 
Because I've seen bits and pieces of what the later game looks like, and it looks like a blast in terms of the fucking world and the characters and stuff. I mean, it's fair enough, you know? Grinding is something that I very rarely am in the mood for. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if you're not in the mood for it, you're not in the mood for it. It's that simple. But I'm sure that, like, there are other games that you've played that uh, you've you've experienced this as well, surely. You know, like, where there's kind of... A mood that's not striking you. Maybe the brain worms prevent it. Uh, the brain worms go a long way, but you see, I, I, I do have a... Um, there is a workaround for these sorts of things, which is the brain worms only accommodate one game per platform. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I've got a game on the PlayStation that uh, I'm working my way through, but I'm not in the mood for it, ordinarily I'd be like, well, I can't play another game. I've got to get it out of the way first. But if it's on, a diff- if it's on the DS or if it's on the PC, then by all means, so long as it's on a different platform, you're good. Yep, makes perfect sense. So you're uh, very good. I don't believe you when you say <laughs> that, but yes. Uh, you know, it was, well, I've had it happen to me in other genres that weren't grind grindophones. I mean, for example, uh, I'm kind of going through it a little bit with Disco Elysium. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, this kind of ties into the whole reading thing from the last week. Or yeah. it, is, it is a game predominantly about reading stuff. Uh, this is a book game yeah very much so which i i do enjoy and i I like how weighty it is but at the same time you kind of want to take a breath now and then and it's not that game uh that's my bad but it just means i'm not on the vibe you know when i got um civilization six i got that for christmas a couple of years ago uh i was really looking forward to it uh and i think it's a really good game but it just didn't grab me in anywhere near the same regard that civilization five did Mm. and i kind of feel like i couldn't help but feel deflated that i wasn't gelling with it even though it was technically a very fun game i i I couldn't get on board with it the same way that i got on board with civilization 5 and i was kind of i was that would that that losing yourself in something was what i was really wanting from it and it couldn't couldn't get me on that i know exactly what you mean it's the worst feeling in the in the world when you're constantly questioning the extent of which you're enjoying something mm-hmm. and you're not entirely sure if that's because of the quality of the game or simply the mindset that you're in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, sh- I should, should I be enjoying this as- this more? Is this my fault? You know, that sort of exactly. thing. Exactly. Oh, just, well, that's what I, I mean. It. While, I, worst. while I'm technically explaining what might or might not be working for me with Dragon Quest, I feel the biggest problem is really just that I'm double-guessing exa- every moment how much I should be enjoying this thing that I wanted, which is death. I mean, like, uh, the worst I ever had it was um, Sonic Generations. You and I know that we're that I'm a massive Sonic Complicated fan. relationship, yeah. But yeah, mine's not that complicated. Yours is more complicated. <laughs> the last Sonic game I played in its entirety was Sonic and the Secret Rings. Wow. Or maybe Sonic Chronicles the Dark Brotherhood. I can't remember which one was later. Uh, Dark Brotherhood would have been. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- in that case, that was the most recent game I My ever played. God. Yeah. How long was it? Ten plus years, maybe? Easily. Bioware wasn't even owned by EA. <laughs> Ooh. Yikes. Like, the whole Mass Effect series hadn't happened yet. Yeah. I'll buy Mania at some point, and that can break the... Break... The, the the hiatus I suppose uh, yeah a solid a solid get definitely I I I love Sonic guys I mean, I absolutely I love the 3D ones just as much as I love the 2D ones it's like a battered housewife yeah <laughs> exactly yeah, you see it on the internet it's, these it's days an, people are like it's an abusive one way relationship I seen, seen somebody tweet I'll never be able to find it but somebody tweeted like 
do you remember the glory days and it was the image of the the games that came out in the 15th anniversary of sonic which were like shadow the hedgehog uh fucking uh, sonic the hedgehog 06 and uh oh you know what it was it was uh the sonic one port the game boy advance (laughs) famously terrible port and uh they were saying, like, remember the days when four Sonic games came out in one year? And you're like... Yeah, what a great year that Holy, was. Yeah, exactly. It's like, wow. I mean, yeah, they did. What but- a cornucopia. <laughs> exactly. You're looking at it and you go, like, you know, sure, the last... I guess the frustration comes from the fact that the last big Sonic game that came out was Sonic Forces. And it took, like, four years to make... <laughs> And, uh, and, it was dog shit. and it was fucking terrible. So like, uh, you not not only now are you waiting more time for Sonic games to come out, <laughs> there isn't even the chance that within like the five outputs, one of them you might half like. You know, now you're you, now you're waiting four years for a game that's shit anyway, instead of sh- four shit games in one year. <laughs> mm, I can't wait for the vastly superior comic line that that come out that'll follow up in the story of this game. <laughs> exactly. But I remember being, uh, I remember about Sonic Generations, uh, obviously being excited because it was a, it was a big deal, and it is a genuinely good game. The whole time I was playing it, I, I it just second guessing it the whole time, just thinking, is this all there's going to be? I just keep wanting more. I really enjoy this, but I want it to be more, and I, I want to I want to get lost in it a bit. And I, it wasn't really that kind of game. It was kind of more like a burn through it, enjoy it, and it's it's done. Come back in a couple of years when you forget how it plays. <laughs> hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, that kind of that 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 was a that was a bad signifier of days to come. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Yeah, Sonic Colors and Sonic Unleashed, two games I really enjoyed. I ended up enjoying more than Sonic Generations, and then since then I haven't enjoyed a Sonic 3D game. Uh, maybe at that all. was just the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, maybe it was the pinnacle of what could be done, and now that there was no more light to be had. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was like hmm. I'm beginning to think in the year 2018 that this 3D Sonic thing just isn't working out. I don't think this is very good. <laughs> you know, ironically, I guess he doesn't have legs. <laughs> but I'm bumped. <laughs> Before we head into the news, I do have one final piece of follow-up, which is, yes, I am quite certain that I did do a a scatman bit previously as our <laughs> weekly the news jingle but uh and for that i am sincerely sincerely apologetic however i will point out that scat being what it is it can never be truly the same thing two times in a row so i'm off the hook into technicality makes perfect sense and uh, and with that the news yeah all right so on the news this week yeah, here's a here's a the kind of smaller one on my side of things. Uh, Michelle Ansel retired this week. I I was just about to say the same one because you're sort of like, oh, that's a shame. But I, I, I still get a big shit-eating grin on my face because I'm like, yeah, that game's never coming out. Beyond Good and Evil 2, it's not happening. You know, to be fair, I, I do feel like Mr. Ansel was the was potentially one of the factors why it was going so slow. I mean, the man had visions. Mm-hmm. The man had dreams. <laughs> you know, God help him, I feel like if it's the one thing that Ubisoft needs right now, it's, you know, creative integrity. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, that... that he just left. Also, somebody so in a directing position who isn't hands-on in the worst kind of way. An auteur. Yeah, who's hands-on in the goods kind of way, <laughs> yeah, and not the bad kind of exactly. way. Exactly. 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's because of Michel Ancel's work that I actually give a shit about Ubisoft in any case. And now that he's gone, I'm kind of like, what's left, you know? Uh-huh. Other than disappointment and embarrassment. Uh, yeah, it was, it was Michel Ancel who did the uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2 E3 demonstration, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. In which, in which he looked like... like he was holding up his newborn son or something when he came out on on stage, and it was in that te- that was the that was the beginning of the running joke where I would turn to you and go, "This game isn't real; it doesn't exist. Your eyes deceive you." Exactly. And uh, you know what? I'm uh, it is bittersweet news, but now I, it seems that my joke has become true more than ever now. I think I feel like it's the opposite. I feel like now that there's a, a visionary out of the way. Ubisoft oh, can churn it out however shit. they want. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be. It'll come up, but it'll be shit. Exactly. Oh yeah, exactly. I feel like that's what we're looking we're looking at here. Uh, but anyway, that's that's sad news. I've always respected and and admired the work of Ansel and and uh, but it does sound like he's going on to literally greener pastures. He's he's opening like an animal sanctuary or something. Mm. <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, bittersweet. Uh, frankly, I'd cut ties with Ubisoft as soon as I could. So I mean. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. He, won- he did it, it in the most the tasteful of ways. <laughs> the, the, the only creative force remaining at Ubisoft now is, uh, I suppose, the poltergeist of Tom Clancy, and that's about it. Uh, in other less, uh, well, it's kind of bigger news. The 3DS ends production this, this, yeah, that was this a week in Japan. Now, it's just the 3DS. It isn't the new Nintendo 3DS or the new Nintendo 3DS XL. I believe it was the whole family. Last I checked. Oh, really? Well, I'm glad I got in there, huh? Yeah, no, it's it's all, it's the whole family. New Nintendos included. Oh, well, shit. Just as well I got one then, huh? Yeah, Even yeah. it was <laughs> locked up, it was chained to, you know, a great burden, that a nameless burden that I've been freed from, so let's not dwell upon it. But uh, <laughs> it feels like I only got it, like, if, it's only, I've only actually begun to use it a month ago. Well, the good news is, between a back catalog of 3DS and DS games, I mean, it's a console that will have legs for a, quite a while. Mm-hmm. And there's always the back alleys. <laughs> anyway it's a shame the black market it's a shame about the 3ds uh not that it wasn't a success in its own sense but it also probably spells the complete end of the ds line oh yeah it's the end of an era yeah huh? it's 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 kind of it's, it's kind of where it has to end right i mean unless they've got like a, it's got a 4ds on the lines <laughs> that'd be great no, i think I, I think the switch was meant to be a consolidation of their mobile of their uh portable and console line yeah exactly into one ultron form sort of in the same way in the same sort of uh ennui that that amounted when the ds uh, supplanted the game boy brand and the game boy brand was yeah. therefore consigned to history this is kind of the same the switch has now ended yeah. to the 3ds how does it go the king is dead long live the king yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's the circle of life man gone are the days of shigeru miyamoto and Iwata pointing at a DS that's printing money going, it literally prints money! <laughs> Classic. The whole people born in this world who don't even know the meme. Maybe maybe there's been a Switch iteration of it and I'm not paying attention. No, I don't. I mean, the Switch did well, Oh, it's it it's done do DS well. It's done remarkably well. I think recently that we see it had the best August of any games console ever, including the PS2 and the Wii. Oh, really? And that's okay. in the year of the recession. That's true. <laughs> 
Well, it's probably because it's the cheapest one. Uh, the others aren't out yet, so <laughs> I guess. I mean, uh, you know, just in general. Yeah, I know, but it, in the middle of a recession, people are still spilling out 200 fucking pound on these things. No, I, uh, I've got a news story here. I'm enjoying tyranny, right? But the loading times for my machine are just abysmal. Like, we're talking, in order for the game to boot up to, like, the first interactable screen, I'm waiting, like, upwards of five minutes. I just find something else to do while I'm waiting. Mm. But, uh, if I had an NVIDIA 3080, that wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and all you need to do is beat someone over the head to get it. <laughs> I would I would need to beat somebody over the head with my NVIDIA 3080 because they're big enough for you to do that. And the person I would be beating over the head would most likely be a scalper. And they probably have like 30 of them by now, so I'd be severely outarmed. Uh, yeah, exciting days for the next-gen consoles being literally console-sized in themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure of using this story has a... The, 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 the first thrust into my penetration into the PC gaming spec world, mm. because I'm going to get there eventually, so I may as well start doing the research now. Yeah. And uh, the, my fir- the, fir- the first two lessons I've learned are the previous generation get really fucking cheap in comparison when the new ones come out every year. That's right. And uh, you-, you should buy all your components at once, because if you don't, then something will get left in the dust and you'll end up being fucked. And that's advice coming from a veteran who gave me that advice specifically. So. All right, cool. I've essentially tried to make myself a, take a console player's uh, mentality to the PC market. You just bought an Alienware or something and everyone turns to you and points <laughs> and laughs. No. People make good custom stuff and sell them themselves. I just have to read the, that the specs make sense to me and then I'm like, yeah, okay. But uh, in terms of following the market on the you know, f- $1,000 GPUs and shit like that, I don't know, I don't know fucking... I don't want to go down that hole, really. You know, mm-hmm. I you know excited to hear it. I'm excited it. to hear your journey into it. It's just not something I can, I can look forward to knowing that I'll never have the justifiable money to invest in this. Well, look, look forward to me making all the mistakes so that you don't have yep, to. Yeah, sounds great. All right, let us get into the meat, the meat of the week. <laughs> Yep. So this week was the PlayStation Five Showcase Spectacular. Yeah, and I actually watched it for that once. That was the most terrifying news to hear. Yeah, and I watched it before you asked me to, which is even more surprising. <laughs> I just got lucky. Yeah, it just so happened to be streaming on YouTube at a time where I was free, and I was like, "Oh well, look at all this content." <laughs> Don't mm. mind if I s- <laughs> snort nap content. Yeah, so I mean, uh, as as we've already ascertained, PS5. Now, now I'm looking at things from an objective, <laughs> like now that I, I I know full well going onto the future of uh, consoles that I'll probably be a three years down the line arms distant kind of guy and not on the on the front lines. No, you've uh, you've cast your die. Yeah. So now I feel like that can make me more objective about these things. No, no. If I if I were in your place, I would feel the opposite. Because uh, I've, I have, you know, I've bought the Playstations because that's where all my trophies are and it's where all the franchises I like mm-hmm. are. But I have held no loyalty to the brand whatsoever beyond that. No, like, sentimental value of any sort. And we're in I, your position where uh, I basically, you know, cut the bridge rope and went, no more! I would be now in a point where I'm actively, like, biased against them by that uh, point. Well, y- you're probably a little right, uh, because one of their announcements mm-hmm. uh, was something called the, the PlayStation Plus Collection. Oh, yes, where it's not backwards compatibility, but they're making a shit ton of PS4 games, like all the iconic ones, if you like, available for download yeah from well yeah exactly if you have a playstation 
Plus account with, and you uh, and you have a PlayStation Five, you automatically get whatever the, the the greatest hits of the PS4 in terms of the not even just Sony's output, but also some of the other companies that have worked with them or generally in partnership with them. Uh, you know, this stuff is wide ranging as Uncharted Four to Fallout Four, that kind of stuff. To yeah, Bloodborne, Bloodborne. Uh, Monster Hunter, things like yeah. that. Uh, now I wanted to ask. Are they saying that if you have PS Plus, you're getting access to all these games for no additional charge? Yes. That is, well, I mean, I'm still a bit unhappy about the reverse compatibility thing, but uh, that's quite a deal. Yes. Value for money-wise, that's pretty good. But here's good. where my, uh, my now f- newly formed brand anti-bias was working. <laughs> was when I heard it, that the, the, the terminology in the little drop for this wasn't very distinct and what i had interpreted was two things one was what 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 it turned out to be uh you when you get a ps5 straight off the bat you have a bunch of ps4 games that you can download with your account with your playstation plus account and you you, that Mm -hmm. means you just have an added like benefit you have stuff there to go yeah it's some good shit in there what it was indistinct enough for me to hear and therefore like frantically google after the fact was that of those games listed the playstation plus collection was sort of their backhanded way of not only shutting down moaning about the lineup yeah yeah not only shutting down a lot of what was uh compatible with the playstation uh because obviously they've uh, stated that only a hundred or so games will be compatible PS4 to PS5 from launch and that they'll patch in more as they go along mm-hmm. but uh it also read to me like you might need your PlayStation Plus account to play anything backwards compatible ooh did they say that or is that just you speculating based on what you've said that was just me poorly interpreting the advert because the kind of way that it was set up it just like it was the games you would expect to see first backwards compatible available games all in one place and they say and they called it the ps plus collection it's like you can get on board with these if you own them we're tying this to playstation plus meaning you'll need to have that which made it look like you can't play your backwards compatible games unless you are subscribed to playstation i was like oh that's awful but isn't the case but that's where my that's where my new bias game is is to expect the worst from playstation (laughs) yeah see it's already starting to happen You've got to you've got to confirm your pre-existing notions because you've already chosen you've picked your side. It's the zeal of the convert. That's what it is. <laughs> All right, so where do you want to start? So, FF16? Yes, that was right at the bat. I I I have to say I was impressed by the sensible haircuts <laughs> comparatively. Uh, Final Fantasy, you know, I do like it even if I haven't played a lot of it, but it does have a tendency to indulge itself to the extent of becoming a bit of a self-caricature at times. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> Just a little. So when when you see this one, and it seems to be in some kind of miserable medieval setting with lots of political intrigue from people with sensible haircuts, then I sort of go, oh, yeah. what's this? It does, uh, what's going on? It, huh? do, it did make an impression for the first time in a long time, I felt... Uh, from Final Fantasy. Uh, I, I perked up. I was awake. <laughs> mm-hmm. This looks like the kind of world where you could conceivably see your main character like standing in a pile of horse shit and going, ah, or, you know, catching cholera and dying. Because <laughs> I was like, stables? And like, there's there's like, 
dirt all over yeah, the place. Yeah, yeah. People are messy and muddy and... And they're wearing, like, sensible clothes for the period. I'm like, this is crazy! Final Fantasy! What's happened? You've changed so much! Exactly. I like it! You know, fucking... A scene that I'm sure is pivotal to the entire story of the game, but also dramatic in the trailer as a little girl watches a man's face get cut open and the blood splatters all over her and you're like, Jesus, Final <laughs> Fantasy. <laughs> I think that was a boy, which just goes to show that something's never changed. <laughs> of course. A boy with a long haircut in a dress. <laughs> uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad that Final Fantasy has gotten to the point like it's so established that we can see Chocobos in a semi-serious war setting <laughs> and not immediately go, what the fuck am I looking mm-hmm. at? What is this? This is the stupidest thing ever. We can just see Chocobos and go, oh yes, this is a very gritty war battle scene. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, uh, shall we talk about Hogwarts Legacy? Let's. You know, back in the good old days of the late 1800s, where a trans was just a fancy way, a snappy way of saying transfiguration. <laughs> <laughs> And where burning a turf was just something you did to keep the fireplace going. Oh, those were the days, those simple halcyon days. Uh, Can I just say that now that we have, now that we're all re-examining the Harry Potter series with a more critical eye, how uh, it's very obvious that if she knew that this was going to be a young adult series as opposed to a children's series, she wouldn't have called it Hogwarts because that is a very silly name. <laughs> yes. Like, we've said it so many times that we don't even, like, acknowledge it, but it's called fucking Hogwarts. Like, the warts on a hog, like a yeah, pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is kind of like the... I wouldn't say it's it's a gritty uh, standalone fare, but it definitely has, like, <laughs> has, like, dodge mechanics. Yeah, they've got, like, Dark Souls dodge mechanics where you're fighting dragons yeah, and yeah. shit. Yeah, so it is certainly... Uh, it's, it's rather violent for something that is literally carrying the name Hogwarts in its fucking title. <laughs> And uh, it's set in a period where, like, I don't know, maybe Grindelwald will be there. That would be nice, but except it won't. That's like, eh, you know, there's options available. Well, I mean, like, as a kid? Yeah, as a kid. And you can be like, I can kill him now. <laughs> Change the timeline. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this looks it looks really fun. Um, <laughs> this is where I kind of become bad with these things, is that I, I struggle to assign it, uh, emotions to trailers. But... Um, mm-hmm. I watched this. I watched this all with um, Maria, my wife, my wife Maria, and uh, you know the initial excitement, like, "Oh, you'll like this! This is the Harry Potter open world game from the guys who made the Mordor game that are, are, are tangentially related to the guys who made the Mordor game. I don't know which is which." Mm-hmm. You'll really yeah, like this, uh, Asterisk. You like that? You'll like this. Um, kind of A- Asterisk. And uh, she was disappointed that it wasn't. Uh, essentially open world in a Skyrim sense that it was very much tied to Hogwarts. Well, that's the game that everyone's been asking for for like the last 10 years, isn't it? They want to see the open world Hogwarts game. Yeah, and I think that's fine. But she said, <laughs> I don't see how this is much better than the PC game where you got to explore the entirety of Hogwarts for the Philosopher's Stone. Those were good games, though. They I were good games. Well. That's what I mean. I think they they were definitely good for their day, in the, especially in the movie tie-in market. <laughs> mm. But uh, yeah, so it didn't, it didn't grab what should have been the ideal audience, I guess, and someone looking for adventure with a theme that was uh, suitably comfortable. But uh, I don't know. I, I thought it looked fun. It showed off a little bit of the broomstick action. That's what I'm really there for. Rowling is not directly tied to the project, but she probably still gets profits, though. So uh, buy pre-used, gang. Yeah. And there's a... There's always, uh, you know, other ways and means, extra legal ways and means. <laughs> Just remember, all the people who worked on this game have already been paid. 
Just something to think about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you have a friend, if you just so happen to have a friend who uh, had had no conscience, uh, you, you could always wait till they buy it and then borrow it. You know, old-fashioned mm-hmm. style. You and ten of your friends can all borrow the same copy at the same time. <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty good. Uh, what else we got? Well, I mean, there was a... A segment dedicated towards COD Cold War, I suppose. Oh man, that, but, that uh, I mean, so fucking boring. Uh, well, I mean, it was a nice set piece. That's about all I can really say. They're uh, always a nice set piece. It was not. It wasn't even like an exciting one related to the Cold War. It was just kind of mindless in a Michael Bay sense. You know. Yeah, it's like. Uh, well, I mean, they had a really fast RC. That's Boy, true. Boy, that was a f- that was a really fast RC. Like the the moment I watched that, I said to myself, "That's a fucking fast RC that it can <laughs> outspeed all these cars." Uh, my and a my plane thought that's about to take off was uh, you know that scene uh, from the end of Toy Story where the RC car has the rocket on its back. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was kind of expecting somebody to, to edit a gif of that at the very end, but it was Call of Duty, so nobody cared. There's also uh, the 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 Alpha is now free to play. Can I just say? As a software person, how it annoys me to see the word alpha become a marketing term. Because mm-hmm. it used to be, uh, you know, they would let you play the beta. And that made sense because the whole purpose of a beta is to let you, you know, balance things out. You know, iron out any remaining bugs. Basically, uh, outsource to the public your beta testing process. Mm-hmm. But, like, alpha? Alpha, like, if if you're making people play the alpha version, then, like... <laughs> your production that, is going dreadfully bad. <laughs> no, I mean like your game is fucked up. Yeah, like the, exactly. You're you're, le- you're letting the public play a version of your game that shouldn't be working, like isn't expected to be working. <laughs> but that's clear because it's not done. Alpha means not done. Yeah. Beta means basically done. We're just ironing out the kinks. Alpha means not finished. You know, this started with Destiny, where it's like you can play the alpha, and I'm like, whatever that is, it's not the alpha. It's never going to be the alpha. They would never let you see the alpha because it would negatively affect your perception of the game because it would be fucked up. Yeah, yeah. This is beta testing. They're just calling it alpha testing because like Jimmy from marketing thought that it would be, you know, like it would be like cooler. It's like you know what's you know what's exclusive beta testers. Well, you know what's even more exclusive alpha testing. Yeah, get in there, get in there. Oh yeah. I mean, just, I know that you're always playing the beta build when you're fucking, when you put it out there, unless it's in early access and you could potentially be playing something pre-beta, which would be horrifying. But, you know, in, in big games like this, say uh, it is always a beta build. Why not just find a new word, you know? Just find a new word for it if you want to market it up. Why go to alpha as something that actively means something in specifically this field? Well, for two for two reasons. One is people know what it means, or they think they know what it means. Like, you know what beta testing is, right? So if you say to people, alpha testing, we're giving you alpha testing access. <laughs> not, o- not, not, only does, not only does alpha sound cool, because it makes you feel important, but because you know what beta testing is, you can sort of infer what alpha testing is, so it works as well as a marketing term, because there's no further explanation required. And it's also because uh, uh, marketing people don't care about tactical terminology, so why would it bother them? Well, yeah, no, I understand the rationale behind it, but surely if if marketing has got free reign over this, they can find a fucking better word than alpha. Even that's kind of is a little nerdy for the mass markets they're trying to, to, to draw in here, right? Well, I mean, it, it's Call of Duty. They, you know, they'll say, Al-, they just hear alpha, they hear early early access to the multiplayer, and Call of Duty, and they're off to the races. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I understand why they've shied away over the years from demo. I mean, demo has kind of become synonymous with, you know, not the game. <laughs> with, with synonymous with free. Yeah, yeah. But they don't like that. <laughs> yeah, no, no. A demo, a, a demo is something that should be free, so we don't call them demos anymore. We call them early access. Was it college? No, it was Crash Bandicoot. Have you heard about this? It just dawned on me. Uh, what, it introduced microtransactions a couple of weeks in? No, but there is a demo out for it live as we speak that you can only play if you have pre-ordered Crash Bandicoot 4. <laughs> oh, of course. Defeats the purpose, boys. I mean, I know I, you know this, and I'm sure the listeners know, uh, the purpose of a demo is to help you decide whether or not to buy something. If you play, the, the demo is only available after you've already pre-ordered it. That kind of defeats the purpose of the demo, doesn't it? Resident Evil 8. Ah, yes, Phil H. Every time I see a little more of this, I get a little more, you know, ready for it. I'm excited. Mm. It's like, uh, hey, they're doing Resident Evil 4, but they're doing that Resident Evil 7 style. Yeah, yeah. I've even downloaded I've downloaded uh, Resident Evil 7 from the Game Pass in anticipation to catch up, to square up. Oh, yeah? Yep. Yeah? You got to play the, the VR version? Uh, I wish, but uh, no, I don't I don't own a VR headset. <laughs> I wish. Somebody wants to somebody wants to pawn pawn me a fucking VR headset for the PC by all means. No, I, uh, I have to say I like this ongoing thing of sneaking the Roman numerals into the title somewhere. I don't think it's sustainable, but I'm glad that they're doing it. I can see I can see it working. Well, what do you think Resident Evil Nine is going to look like? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's something. With, uh, you know, the, IX. You, you call it Resident Evil Six. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I thought about that. I actually thought about that, if they call it Resident Evil 6, but it's actually Resident Evil 9. I don't know, you got, like, um, Fixture, something like that. Oh, yeah, mix. can't wait to play Resident Evil Fixture. I thought Nyx, but X is NYX. What? No, Mix. You can call it uh, oh, Chaos Mix. Resident Evil yeah. Chaos Mix. No, no, that that makes no sense. That's like a, that's like, that's like a Sonic pinball game, Chaos Mix. There's gotta, there's gotta be. All right, I'm gonna Google it now. That, now, that, now we've gone too far down the hole. Words ending in ix. <gasps> Crucifix, huh? Ooh, that's a ooh, good that word. Is, that it. That is enticing. Oh, there's but loads I, of fucking I'm not, good I'm, shit. I'm, 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 I'm not sure they would be able to get away with it for this one because they're already doing. They're already doing like the. The rural religious angle. All right, Helix. Helix. That could be a whole company. That could be an umbrella yeah. corporate uh, competitor. Yeah, like like double Helix. Mm. Yeah. But as a subtitle, though, mm, or I'm not sure. Matrix. <laughs> Probably shouldn't, but we could. Mm-hmm. I like this game. I like this game. Phoenix. Phoenix. Ooh, that's not yeah. bad. Phoenix could work actually, because yeah. it's about coming back from the dead, right? Hey, hey, zombies. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, Dominatrix. <laughs> I'd like to see it, but I don't think it'll play. <laughs> I love that your first answer is I'd like to see it. Yeah, I, I think we've got the point across anyway. There's there's, mm-hmm. there's some good ones. Generatrix. I've never even heard of that. That sounds a little too much. Uh, uh, I would be intrigued if I heard that. And there's apparently something called a super helix. Oh. Mm. Mm. It's, a bit, it's a bit much, but you know. Says ne- never say never, you know. I, I, I... Resident Evil Nine, Hendrix. <laughs> Hendrix, <laughs> he's back. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, no. Uh, so wait, one thing: the guy at the end of the trailer. Did you see him? Is he supposed to be the Resident Evil Four shopkeeper guy? I don't think it's meant to be him. It's just, hey, guess what? We've got a merchant. Uh, okay, well that's it's good not enough. the merchant; it's a merchant. Yeah, he did have like a because, different uh, voice and a different look, so I, I was kind of like, it, it's not, it's not the same guy. It's just a sort of, 
hey, look what we're bringing back. It's a merchant, but it's this region's merchant. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's because, good. Because uh, that was one thing that Resident Evil 5 was sorely missing, amongst other things, was it didn't have a merchant. It didn't have you joy. Just bought, you, you just bought your stuff between missions, and it was really boring. It would have been really nice to have a cool, like, uh, wheeling and de- dealing sort of African merchant. That would have been nice. Oh, yeah. Uh, like a sort of more native version of, not native, try that again. A more uh, localized version of, like, uh, Drebin from Metal Gear Solid 4. Ooh, yeah, Drebin. That'd be cool. Dreb- yeah, you know what? If they if it was just Drebin, I would have been pretty happy. Oh with yeah, that. like cross cross the series. That would that would have been sick. That would have been great. I love Drebin. Quite a, quite a, well, I was quite attached to him by the end of that game. <laughs> I mean, you know, he was just an info dump of a character. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it was you know, MGS four was just an info dump of a game. That, that's so. true. <laughs> Still, uh, I like I like the more intimate approach that they've been taking with Resident Evil recently. Mm-hmm. The uh, they've got. I like the diverse, well, if that's the right word, they've split the series up with the remix with your classic over-the-shoulder perspective, and with uh, 7 and 8, they're doing the the first-person thing. I'm glad they stuck with that. Yeah, definitely. I was afraid they uh, would know, throw it out. There's always the temptation that they would go back to bad habits, mm-hmm. but uh, they've, they've really stuck with the Ethan stuff with the first-person and the more intimate stories, and uh, they're getting artsy with this one. They've got like a sort of like fairy tale... You, you you saw the sequence, didn't you? Of like the Coraline shit that got going on. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> actually, you know, actually you, you, said Coraline at the time. Yeah, you sit forward and you go, "Oh, what's going on? I'm intrigued." It's like, hey, you know what? I'm glad that they're not being stale. Like they're keeping they're keeping just enough stuff yeah. from the old stuff to make you f- to keep you. They've got the feel of Resident Evil. Yeah, and you're like, they're keep they're putting fat old fans at ease, but they're keeping it just remixed and just enough fresh stuff to really keep you interested. You know at at this point, they're bound to realize that Resident Evil has survived some drastic changes in tone. <laughs> you know, mm. I think we could handle some sock puppetry. <laughs> in any case, you know what? I'm excited for Resident Evil in a way I haven't been for a while. So, mm-hmm. all right, Deathloop. Deathloop, yeah. Uh, Arcane Studios, it's like, hey, did you like Dishonored? Did you hate to have to reload every save because we reward you for not getting caught during missions and you get caught a lot? Well, guess what? We've taken most of the stuff out. It's just action now. Hooray! Yeah. To be fair, this confirmed something that I was mostly excited about, which was that it's kind of a puzzle game. Yes, it's got a bit of that, uh... It's like a, the Sexy Brutal, a game that I've never played, but I've heard a lot of things about, where it's about looping through a day. Mm-hmm. It's like Majora's Mask, but with more motivate, like puppeteering people, yeah, like yeah. tricking people. Like there's doing like there's the things. one mission in Majora's Mask, which is like specifically about being in all the right places in the right time to get one mask. Uh, yeah. It's like that, but a game, uh, which yeah, great, you know, it looks great. I just like Grindhog Day Loops in general. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not tired of the concept yet, so I mean. Keep them coming. All right. So, is the, help me out here. Is there a name for this aesthetic? Like the Austin Powers, Incredibles, the Man from Uncle, like the '60s spy aesthetic. Is there a name for this? Because I want more of it. Uh, yeah. Um. Uh, I'm almost certain there is. Like no, it's got like Novu in it. <laughs> it's like a French term, probably. But no, I don't know it. Uh, let's just say uh, spy, spy chic. Spy chic, hmm. Like, uh, there has to be a TV tropes page for this sort of thing, but I could never find it. <laughs> Good fucking luck. All right. What else All we got? Right. 
I mean, I'm happy to see it. Clearly, it's earned its niche. There are a lot of people like it. It's got its own little corner of the world, and it's doing well. But I have to say, if you had told me to way back when, little Lawrence Jr., when he was playing Abe's Exodus on the PS1, that this was a franchise that would have the longevity to last all the way to the PS5 period, I, I honestly wouldn't believe you. Nope. Oddworld's still a thing. Uh, it's not. It's not that I'm. I don't. I'm not happy to see it. It's just that it's really not for me. As a kid, I liked watching people play Abe's Odyssey, mm. but I never enjoyed playing it myself. And then, as an adult, when I revisited it in its HD version, uh, I, then I realized it really wasn't for me. It's a it's a puzzle game, and it's a really good one, and it's such an interesting niche, an interesting style, an interesting world. But it's not one that I'm like compelled to play. I'm just happy to see continue to exist. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I didn't think it would be this. You know, this sort of pseudo Lemmings gameplay loop would be would have the legs the last twenty years. But here we are, huh? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yep, that's a Oddworld Soulstorm. We never actually said the title of it, so there we go. It seems, you know, I, I do like the idea of it, and I've watched a few let's plays of it. I've never played any of them myself, you see, but it seems every time I glance away from the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise and then look back, they've added another, t they've like made another two of them. Mm -hmm. Like uh, I was like, oh, five came out, okay, and I look away and I come back, and it's like, oh, there's like a sister location, and there's like a pizzeria simulator, and there's like an RPG now. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, oh, the RPG. I forgot about that one. Uh, and then, but what is this one? Like, the trailer didn't make it look very clear, but it almost looked like you were allowed to walk around in 3D. I think it might be like, yeah, it's like amnesia sort of thing. That's, that's what That is actually interesting. It is. Did you know there was a VR version? of? I did. They, yeah, like, they've basically made a VR game that's a, a remake of the first four of them. No, the first five of them. Like, the first five, instead of being still sitting in a chair swapping between camera angles, there's you can now play them in VR. I mean... I've been watching a Markiplier Let's Play. Yeah, what, what in God's name would drive you to do such a thing? Well, I mean, if you're a big fan. You know, shout out to Scott Calhoun, or Cawthon? Scott Calhoun. Santa Claus himself. Cawthon. C-A-W-T-H-O-N. Scott Cawthon. You know what? We go on about Toby Fox and how he's carved out something for himself, but it has to has to be said, Scott Cawthon's done a pretty damn good job oh, himself. Yeah. He's built a veritable empire. I, it's, it's, there's very little to begrudge here. I mean, you could you can harp on that they're kind of a template of the same game for for as much as you want, but I mean, there are small little serial uh, games that do their job remarkably well and have an aesthetic that is their own. I mean. You can't begrudge them. Mm -hmm. You know, I, 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 I don't own any of them myself, and I'm in no hurry to play them, because whilst I do like horror, the very premise of these games seems like a just a, a recipe for anxiety yeah, more absolutely. than anything else. <laughs> Although, I have to be said, you really know what you've hit the mainstay when uh, the franchise that you've based your game off of, Chuck E. Cheese is not only going out of business, but I think could bear to make a lot of money if you did some kind of crossover event. <laughs> Imagine... Imagine if Chuck E. Cheese did a Five Nights at Freddy like Halloween crossover. Would that not just be like? Would would they not make bank on that? Why, swap out the uh, the ball pit for uh, like a fucking escape room, and bam! I mean, kids would be eating crap pizza for the rest of their lives. And catching diseases from the ball. Well, the ball pit's gone, so they can't catch the diseases quite as easily. But still, from the from 
getting touched by the robots. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, just like spray down the robots with anthrax. Or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> just to just to make really make you feel the like your life's in danger. All right, so my uh my earlier remark about you know double dipping on consoles is stupid, and I would never do it. Well, here we go. It's Demon Souls remake. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that in the same context. It's the remaster Demon Souls, and it is looking nice. I have to say. I basically played the game of oh I recognize this area. Where's yeah, there was a lot oh, of that. It, it looks so much. It looks so much nicer now. Look at that. I don't even recognize this. This looks so nice, and uh, basically it worked its way into me really, really well. Where it plays the music, and it shows you the iconic parts. And I'm, I'm you know that Vince McMahon meme of him looking coyly and him getting increasingly more and more enticed until his eyes oh. are glowing red. Yeah, yeah. That was basically my reaction to this trailer. I'm like, hmm, you know, you know, not, not bad, not bad. Oh, that does look nice. Hmm. Well, I mean, you know, I always have the, the, the original. Oh, but, oh, Tower of Latria looks so good. Mm. Yeah. I, I was like, yeah, okay, you know what? I might actually buy this. <laughs> well, I think there is an exception in the sense that it is a massive overscale for what Demon Souls was in terms of, like, mm-hmm. performance and then just general uh, completeness. It does make sense. Mm-hmm. This is slightly more than a remaster, uh, and I imagine. And having played the last uh, Blue Point um, yeah. adaptation in Shadows of the Colossus, uh, spectacular job in terms of capturing the essence of the original. They are the unsung heroes. They're like the A team. Yeah, you know, they're just the 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 guns for hire that you call up when you need a job done and you need it done well. They don't work for themselves. They just do it for the money. <laughs> Uh, I do think that, I don't know about you, but I was kind of put off by how clean it looked, though. It feels like it, uh, and yeah. we hear this every, we hear this conversation every time Blue Point do a game because they make them all nice and clean and shiny. Uh, I mentioned this myself earlier uh, in, like, I think maybe the second episode of this show, when uh, this game was first announced, when we saw the first footage, I was like, ooh, you know, there's a temptation to make it really shiny. I hope they don't lose any of the aesthetic. And, uh, I, you know, I was worried at first. But then I saw some of the levels besides the uh, the Boletaria Castle mm. levels. Like, uh, they show Tower of Latria, which is my favorite level in the Soul series in general. Mm-hmm. And it looks fantastic. They showed you the uh, the mining area, and it looks just the right amount of grungy. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm sold. It's good. I'm happy. All right, great. I mean, like, I guess that's my that was my one conversation point. I felt like it, it might have aired too far into, into clean and shiny and kind of lost the flavor that the Souls games wears, but I mean, if you're you're the you're the guy that they're aiming to please, so if you're pleased, then let them be pleased. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, visually, I'm pleased. We'll see uh, how it feels to play. Yeah, this, that is diff- that is the difficult one to nail down. But again, that was the, specifically the one thing that was excellently done in uh, Shadow of the Colossus. Fortnite had a, a laughably perfunctory presence in this. <laughs> Where it was, it was almost like a 30 second, okay, yeah, by the way, Fortnite's on it. There you go. You happy now, Grant? Let's move on. Yeah, as, as it recalls to my mind the words of my father every time he sees uh, Robbie Williams, the, the singer. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he utters, do the smirk and fuck off. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's exactly what it is. All right, there you go, kids. Fortnite, it's there. <laughs> uh, I suppose we should get on to the price, but before we do that, uh, you know, God of War 2 announced, uh, sorry, you know, God of War 2019, 
2. It's probably going to be called Ragnarok, but, you know, they're being coy about it. I mean, it, it's got to be Ragnarok. It's not going to be God I mean, of War 2 Ragnarok, is it? That would be fucking terrible. Yeah, it might be that, actually. Well, as long as it's got something at the end that distinguishes it from God of War 2, the original, and not God of War 2, the new one. Oh, uh, yeah. They should have called it The God of War. They should have... You know the way they dropped the The... In order to make things spicy, they should have added a the the God of War for the reboot. Wouldn't that have been nice? I you know I'm I'm in favor, ugly as it is, of them going straight up old fashioned. Put the name of the console in the game title, <laughs> and call it God of War PS4, like like Super Spider-Man, Mario 64. <laughs> nah, it's awful. Well, I mean, it's hideous, but it's distinguishing. Totally but they they couldn't do that for the actual title if they called it the God of War. Or because it's set in the Norse pantheon, they could go gods of war, because yeah. now there's Kratos and, that would have been and good. Thor, I guess. Also, like, I'm pretty sure the story of God of War, the, sorry, the PS4 God of War, basically leads into Ragnarok, the mythological, like, event. That's how the plot goes. I'm not entirely sure. I think that's what happens. So it's going to be called Ragnarok. There's no way it's not going to be. It's too cool of a name of to course. not do that. You don't turn down the opportunity to put the word Ragnarok in everything. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, there was nothing shown of this. And I'm excited for the people that were excited about this. Uh, so, the price. Uh, ex- yeah, we've danced around it. Exactly the same as the Xbox. One X. Series X. God damn it. <laughs> £360 for digital only. 450 for the disc version. Now, uh, I did make a... An effort to go back to, I think it was our first episode, or our second episode, to see what my prediction was okay. for what this price was going to be. I said it was going to be comparable to the price of the PS3 when that first came out, the fat one. Which I believe it is, isn't it? It's the exact and, same uh, price. I looked at, that's roughly, that's roughly the same price as uh, the disc version of the PS5. So hey, plot on the back. I got it right. Not too shabby. So, uh, four fifty for the disc version. Oof. I have to say, uh, this only goes to show the, the disc people are bearing the brunt of the damage. They're bearing the cross for the digital people because it's very clear that we're meant to be offsetting the costs that Sony is losing. That they're by the setting the market. only one by so low. Because uh, I certainly know that ninety pounds is not what it costs to put in a fucking Blu-ray player. <laughs> But what about a 4K Blu-ray player, huh? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine it's fucking 90 quid anyway. I can't even imagine it's like 30 pound when it comes down to raw resources, but the markup must be exponential. In the same sense of it was burgeoning technology when the PS3 had a Blu-ray player, uh, so they wanted to to back that up with a ridiculous price to offset that cost. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, people, have, people have been saying it for like the last 10 years, but... I see on the horizon the the collapse of the the used game market because yeah. uh, they're finally mm. doing it. They're they're going digital only. This is the first step. They have they have tried this shit before, uh, not PlayStation, but Xbox has tried it uh, with their arcade version of the Xbox 360. So this isn't brand new. No, but uh, I feel like everyone's doing it now. They're 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 slowly but surely pushing you in the direction of the digital only no disc version. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if it'll be next generation or the generation after that, if that even happens, you know. But uh, eventually there will come a day where digital only will be the only option. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny because, ironically, in a lot of sense, uh, the console market is the only thing keeping physical game media alive. I mean, PC gaming has long left that market, really. Well, I mean, it's not like Sony gives a shit about GameStop or whatever. 
you know, that would be funny that you say this the year before there are no more GameStops. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will be, will be, that's one company I'm not sad to see go, that's for sure. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I guess the interesting talking point is whether that weighs up particularly well against the Xbox Series X, you know. It was interesting to see Sony had good console exclusives bet far better than Xbox have. Mm. But, uh, you know, there in terms of... You still kind of. I still feel like the Game Pass is 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 a, is a sweet a deal sweetener that costs about the same as PlayStation Plus, but has a lot more variety to it, you know. And that's kind of what it all comes down to these days. Which which console plays my free game machine most? Yeah, see, that's where you and I differ because uh, I never use those kind of subscription services. I feel like they put you under pressure when uh, I want to play at my own pace, not at the the console's pace. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So, uh, which is why I'm so sad to see the used game market go, because um, basically all of my console games are pre-owned these days. Mm. The last five years I've been playing pre-owned games on my PS4 and PS3. I mean, CEX, I picked up Resident Evil 5 for fucking 250 What a steal, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably get the disc version, but I, I imagine... Once enough time has passed, the the price difference between the two will plateau out because uh, it's not like you know the people reselling the consoles are having the offset for the inclusion of the hardware. It's true. So I imagine the you know if you're if you're popping in the CEX or GameStop if it's still around for some <laughs> reason, and you see a pre-owned disc version of the PS5 and a pre-owned digital only version, I think they're going to be roughly the same price, maybe like a twenty pound difference, you know, for the cheek. But that's about it. Well, all I know is I got my invite, and uh, I'm on the list. PS5 right. day one, baby. <laughs> if if you did if you didn't go on your massive tirade, by the way, did you notice after they they unleashed the price, they the the guy I don't know who his name was, like Sony of America or yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever that. Yeah. He was like he was like so now you know in a in a matter that to my ears rang a little petulant. Like there you go, <laughs> you got it. So now you know, get off our back, <laughs> Jesus. This might have been announced a little bit earlier, but gameplay footage of the new Amnesia game. Yeah, I heard about this, but I didn't see it. Amnesia Rebirth. Ooh. In VR, I think. That's the right uh, format. VR is the right format. For Amnesia? Yeah, seems the logical step. Frictional games, still uh, still doing the same old thing, but hey, it's been a while and we've all been missing it. Although I have to say, there is a worry with Amnesia. Because uh, I would say that the first Amnesia game, The Dark Descent... Was really what kicked off the the uh, the the big wave of let's playing as a phenomenon. Uh-huh. It really hit the mainstream. Like uh, PewDiePie, for instance, he got his name playing Amnesia, and uh, let's needless to say, the horror genre has been influenced by it in like many many ways to an extraordinary extent. So there's always a little worry, especially because a machine for pigs didn't do so well. When they're coming back, Amnesia is back, baby. Where you're wondering, ooh, I hope they uh, is it are they just doing the same old thing because 
That ship has sailed, brother. It's gone. Well, it's hard to believe they would, because um, as as most people will know anyway, the, the Machine for Pigs wasn't frictional games. Yeah, but it's Chinese room. Yeah, uh, whereas frictional games went on to make Soma, which mm-hmm. did try to implement a little more of like a puzzler, psychological, Bioshocky kind of vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it did feel like they had planned to move on. I can't imagine them dipping back into the well just to make the same game when, you know, they, they've they very clearly made a statement that they were intending to go a little further beyond the scope of their original project. So mm-hmm. I would I would I would err on the side of positivity for the first time this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we always like the end on positivity, don't we? You can look forward to the next horror nightmare game positively. I've been meaning to play a machine for pigs. I mean, I know it's not as good, but I do like the setting. I like what they're doing with the setting with this one, where it's sort of like the French out in the desert or something. With the a Machine for Pigs, it was the, sort of like a Victorian setting with mm. a bit of like uh, Ozymandias going on. I like also. I just like the name of it, a Machine for Pigs. That's a good title. It sticks it out. A, it's memorable. It's a really it's good sl- title. It's slightly awkward, but in a way that makes it really memorable. I think I might play that game for over October for Halloween because you Ooh. know it's not like we're doing anything else for Halloween this year yeah you do that and I'll do Resident Evil 7 we'll meet up for a Halloween special uh-huh. I will see who, who who's chickened out the most <laughs> it's gonna be me <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.